get your Bible handy, why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, and as you're finding that passage, let me remind you of something about the Bible that you are using, if you brought one, or if you own one, to turn there. Uh, in Second in Timothy, and again, you're going to Acts 20, but in Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him as a reminder and as a, as a reminder of, of what it is that he's preaching, what it is that he's standing on, what it is he's communicating and, and doling out, so to speak, to the people. And Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible that you hold in your hands comes directly from God himself. It is his word, what he wants us to know, what he wants us to respond to. And not only that, but thankfully it is profitable to our benefit to teach us, to rebuke us, to tell us when we've gotten off track, to correct us, to set us back up on our feet, to train us so that we can be complete, mature and complete, and ready for anything that God has for us. So this morning, I want you to to look with me in Acts 20 with that in mind. This is profitable. It is to our benefit. It is the Word of God. Look with me in Acts chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know. From the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, and that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable, or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus. For he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone. And embracing Paul, they kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. Picture the scene. Paul has spent three years with this group of people. These are the elders of the church of Ephesus, the the leaders that he has himself raised up and trained to take over upon his departure. And so for three years, they've spent time together. They've gotten to know one another. And we see here at the very end that they're weeping. They're crying. They're, They're heartbroken. Not just at his departure, though that was sad enough, but at the words that he told them, this is it. You're never going to see me again. Paul wasn't sure exactly where he was going to wind up, but he he knew, based upon his insights and what the Lord had communicated with him, that this was it. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And there, he said, I don't know what's going to happen. Now, we know the rest of the story, that Paul would be arrested, that he would be thrown in prison and later martyred for the sake of the gospel. But these folks here are dealing with a very difficult, sad time. You've probably had something like that before. If you remember back, or maybe you're looking forward, or maybe you've just experienced the last day of high school. Remember that last day of high school? Oh, what a sad day. All the friends that you were so close to, or at least you thought you were. You're signing yearbooks, and you're telling them to, you know, KIT, keep in touch. You leave your phone number there, and... and, uh, you tell them all these great things or whatever, but it's a sad, it's sort of bittersweet moment, you know. And some of you remember back to that, and others, maybe for you, you think maybe back, or you, you know it's coming to the day when you drop your firstborn or secondborn or third or fourth, in our case, off at college. I remember when my parents brought me to Murray State. And for me, it was an exciting time, but it was bittersweet, and for them, it was sad. Um, maybe you, you've experienced that. Maybe you've, you, you say, don't, don't even talk about that right now. Um, but, but you get the idea. Or maybe you've sat with someone. Maybe a, a spouse or a parent or even a child. And, and you've been with them in their dying moments. And, and you, you have those last, if it's even possible, those last little moments of conversation. Sad. It's kind of what Paul's dealing with. They know they're never going to see him again. Now, of course, in the case of high school friends, you might see them again. In the case of dropping a student off at college, you're probably going to see them again. And in the case of believers who pass on from this life to the next, we'll see them again, but you get the picture. You understand sort of the emotion they're dealing with. And I want you to participate with me just briefly, either to write it down or to think in your own mind, to complete this sentence. Looking back... I wish. Now, I'm not going to ask you to call it out like the praises we had earlier. But maybe you'd write something down there, just as a point of reference. You can kind of put pen to paper and say, you know what, if I'm honest, looking back, I wish. Or maybe in your own mind, you've got some things coming up. Maybe you say, looking back on that time in high school, if you're a young person, I wish I had what? I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I had said this or that. I, I wish I had not participated in this. Or maybe as, as you picture that dropping the child off at college and you 
you picture that moment, you say, looking back, I, I wish I would have done this. Or maybe you picture yourself. Some, I know this is prevalent on your mind as you step toward those last several years of, of life. And you say, you know, looking back, I, I wish, I wish I hadn't spent so much time doing that. I wish I had, had let people know what I felt a little more often. I, I wish, looking back, I wish. What would, what would you have to say there? If you think about that question, completing that sentence, and you have this picture in your mind, you say, you know what, looking back, I, I don't want to say, I wish I, I could have done this or should have done that. I want to say, looking back, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I, did. I live with no regrets. If you think about where you want to be, I want you to also examine where you are right now. Because the trajectory of your life right now will get you to that point where you will one day be forced to say, looking back, either I wish I had or I'm glad I did. The trajectory of your life in this moment, the pattern of your life will set you up for those particular questions and completing those sentences. So where are you today? Maybe you say, you know what, <clears throat> in all honesty, I am, I am extremely, extremely tired <laughs> of the trajectory of my life. I am tired of living halfway. I'm tired of, of, of the regrets. <clears throat> I'm tired of the what-ifs. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> because I want to, to talk with you this morning, out of Acts chapter 20, about how do you live with no regrets. If we go back to Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders, it over and over, I, I see this speech filled with a man, with the words of a man who had no regrets in life. Look with me again in verse 24. He says, <clears throat> he says I don't know where I'm going. I know I'm going to face hardship. But verse 24, he says, But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And then verse 26, he says, I'm innocent of everyone's blood. You, you see this man, he says, you know what, I, I, my life has not been about me. I've given my life completely to the Lord, completely to others. And so as a result, I don't have any regrets. I did exactly what I knew God wanted me to do. I was exactly for you, the person that I needed to be, he says. He says, I count my life of no value to myself. I've, I've given it away. I just want to finish the ministry, finish my course, testify to the gospel of God's grace. I've got no regrets, he says. I'm innocent of everyone's blood. There's nothing that I can think of that I wish I could go back and do differently. What an incredible statement. So few people could make that particular statement. But if you think about sort of what we're looking at this morning, I guess in a cause and effect and some side effects. If you've got your bulletin handy, you'll kind of see, and maybe you just draw a little line and say, this is the cause, or this is the effect. The effect that we're going for today is a life lived with no regrets. A life that when you're signing those yearbooks, when you're dropping your student off at college, when you're in your dying moments, that you can say, you know what? No, I wasn't perfect. And, and absolutely, I needed Jesus because I'm not sinless. But, I'll tell you what, I don't have any regrets. And so I, I suppose that's what I want you to look at. The effect is, is living with no regrets. We get the answer, we get the cause from Paul's statements here in chapter 20 of Acts. And the cause is, how do you do that? And it's very simple. You give your life away 
to Jesus and to others. You say, well, I, I need something more profound. Let me repeat it. You give your life away to Jesus and to others. There is no other way. Let me tell you this up front. There is no other way to live life with no regrets than to abide by this principle. To give your life away to Jesus first and to others as a result of that. Now this, this applies regardless of your age. Some may say, well, you know that person you're talking about that's just a few years away? That's me. Maybe you're an older person in our crowd today and you say, uh, you know, I, I understand, and maybe, maybe I, I, I'm not so sure that what you're talking about is for me. You realize that Abraham was 75 years old when he began his journey with the Lord? 75. I'm not going to make you raise your hand and ask you if you're 75 or above. We'll just trust we got a few of those here. And a few that would rather not admit it, and I appreciate that. Good for you. But listen, I tell you what, I hope when I'm 75 years old that I'm as strong spiritually as many of the people here that are 75 and above. Let me tell you that. Um, if you're a person who's, who's a young person today, you've got a lot of good examples. Look around and don't miss them. Paul, uh, here the story about him was in his 60s uh, when, when he's thriving with the Lord. Timothy, uh, the person we, we saw in 2 Timothy's writing to was, was in his 40s when Paul wrote to him. The disciples were likely somewhere, somewhere in their 30s. David, when he was called of God, was in his teens. Samuel was just a boy. It doesn't matter what age you are. It also doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You say, well, I, you know, we're busy. <laughs> I'm not sure that I've got enough time in my life to give my life away to Jesus and to other people. I mean, I, you know, you don't understand my schedule. I've got a lot of responsibility. You know, I'm, it doesn't matter what your responsibility is. There is no greater responsibility that each of us have and have been called to than to give our lives away to Jesus and to others. It doesn't matter about your age. It doesn't matter about your life stage. And it also doesn't matter about your past. Some look back and say, what's the point? The regrets I have are mounted up so high that it wouldn't matter if I spent the next 50 years of my life. I couldn't overcome all that stuff. And not to discourage you, but you're right. If you have a mountain of regret this morning, you could literally spend this lifetime and a hundred more and never overcome all that regret. Now, that's the bad news. But the great news that far and away outweighs the bad news is that you don't have to. Because by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He has conquered not only your sin that you need forgiveness for, not only the opportunity for you to receive eternal life, but He's conquered that mountain of, of, of guilt, <laughs> the mountain of, of regret. So your past not the issue. Now, we'll tell you that a life with no regrets is easier, easier built when you're young than it is when you, when you get to a point where you say, I've got this mountain. It's, just, it's easier. But the power of Jesus can enable you to begin today, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter where you are in life, no matter your past. And so my goal for you and for me is from this point forward, after we hear this sermon, from this point forward, from today, you can't go back. From today is for us to live with no regrets. From this point forward. And I believe, in all honesty, that it's entirely possible. Or I wouldn't be standing here today telling you that it is. I believe that the life God has designed for us in this life and certainly in the next life 
is a life with no regret. I don't believe God wants us walking around saying, well, I wish I could have done this. I wish I'd... I don't believe that's the life God has for us as believers in Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that's the life. And so even through hard times, even through tough times, we can live a life with no regrets. But I'll tell you this, the only way it's accomplished is what we see in Paul's life. Demonstrated here in his farewell speech, a life that's given away to Jesus and to others. Jesus himself even said it. And I've referenced this, this scripture plenty of times. If you, if you don't know by now, it's one of my favorites. Luke chapter 9, just write down the reference. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. It won't be on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 25. He said to them all, If anyone wants to come, come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself, his very soul? You see the, the, the choice that we've got here this morning. <laughs> we're going to lose our lives for the sake of Jesus and others, or we're going to gain our lives all here and wind up one day with a big pile of regret that we never expected. Not at the end of our lives necessarily, and we look back and we've got all this regret, but for all eternity. The truth is, if we're honest, most of us know that our regrets stem from the fact that we don't live the way that Paul demonstrated. And I have to include myself in that. We, 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 our regrets most often stem from our own disobedience to Jesus, our own desire for control of our lives, for, for the mishandling of time and responsibilities and relationships and challenges and temptations and opportunities and resources and all, all that. Most of the time our regrets come from our own doing. They come from bad decisions, lost time, broken relationships, wasted opportunities, consistent sin, for, from living for ourselves. And Paul demonstrates to us that a life of no regrets doesn't begin with just sort of tying up loose ends in your life, but it begins with a life that's devoted and given away to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I don't want to tell you just how to go and have a better life. Lots of things you can do that have nothing to do with Scripture that can make your life a little better. That's not why I'm here. I don't want you just to have a clear conscience. I, I don't want you just to, to, to sort of clear your mind and say, oh, I feel better now. But I really want to convey to you the truth that, that this morning is not just about having a better life, but it's about life that goes far beyond our time here on earth. Paul wrote, Continually, he had to die to himself, being crucified with Christ. He's far more than just a good guy. He's far more than just a guy who did some nice things. He was a guy completely devoted to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And only that, he gave himself away to others. You see there on the back of your bulletin, and on the screen actually, top line, how to live with no regrets. That's what we're going for. That's our, that's our main effect. No regrets in this life and the next life. I don't want to look back and say, I wish I'd have done this, I wish I'd have done that. I certainly don't want to, to look from eternity apart from Jesus Christ, as we see in the Scripture, an example of that. And a person says, I wish I'd given my life to Jesus. Can I get another shot at it? No, you can't. That's the, the main effect. The cause is to give your life away to Jesus and to others. And, and we'll see as a result that you can then be certain things as a result of that. These are sort of the side effects. The first one is that you can be fully present wherever you are. When you give your life away to Jesus and others, you can experience what Paul describes, the example that he gives in this passage. And the first is you can be fully present wherever you are. In verse 18, he says, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. What if you were able to look back and say, You know what? Wherever I was, I was all there. 
Wherever I was, I was all there. I, I gave focused time and lots of it and lots of good time to the people that I loved most, to my, to my family, my spouse, my children, my grandchildren. I, I was all there. I was fully present wherever I was. Imagine having no more regrets about how you spend your time. I don't believe that Paul in any way had a regret about how he spent his time with these folks in Ephesus. I was with you the whole time. You can see his focused effort. And I've heard it said that your kids don't need quantity time. They just need quality time. Based upon experience, not a lot of it, but enough to know this, they need both. You try to choose one or the other, and you're in trouble. If you're a parent this morning, I don't care how old your kids are. They need both. Yes, they need quality time. Focused, absolutely. You just, you and them. But they need lots of that. They need time when you're just there. They need lots of it. You want to build strong relationships in a marriage, in a family, and friendships, at work, wherever? You're going to have to invest time. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come free. Paul says, I was with you the whole time. You can be fully present wherever you are. Not only that, you can be a faithful servant to the Lord. He says in verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, His humble service, His self-denial. The truth is, all of us, you, me, each one of us, will one day stand before the Lord, and I hope and pray that each one of us here will hear those words that Jesus spoke Sort of in a preview of what one day we'll encounter. Well done, good and faithful servant. Serving the Lord faithfully. Imagine looking back over your life and saying, you know what, I I wish I'd serve the Lord. (laughs) I wish I'd have really been faithful in serving the Lord. I'm not just talking about church attendance. But that can be just a box you check off and can be meaningless. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about faithfully with humility in the midst of hardships, as Paul says, in the midst of trials, no matter what happens, I faithfully serve the Lord. Am I perfect? No, by no means. But I faithfully serve the Lord my entire life. Imagine being able to look back and say, you know what? I didn't do everything right. But I don't have any regrets about how I serve the Lord. I was devoted to Him as best I knew how, as best I could, and I continued to grow, and I just invested my life, leveraged my life, my talents, everything that I have. I leveraged it for the kingdom of God. There are very few of us right now who can say that. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a faithful servant to the Lord through trials, through hardships, through attacks that come in life, whatever it may be. Paul was that kind of guy. When you give your life away to Jesus and to others, you can be that faithful servant to the Lord. Not only that, but you can be a bold witness for the gospel. Paul says in verse 20, I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. In verse 25, you skip down. He says, And now I know that none of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Paul here uses some different types of speech. He proclaims to them, which means he reports and he announces. You picture somebody coming on behalf. I always picture the State of the Union address. Uh, And and I forget exactly which person it is that that enters the, the, the House chamber first and announces 
Mr. Speaker, Mrs. Speaker, the President of the United States. And everybody stands and they clap, and it's this big, you know, moment every year. And it's, it's, you know, that's one of those moments that no matter which side of the aisle you sit on, you're just proud to be an American. Everybody's clapping, you know, it just kind of, anyway, I am, anyway. Um, you guys still with me? Okay. <clears throat> My point is, Paul viewed himself as sort of that person, that herald, that, that proclaimer. Let me tell you who's coming. Let me tell you who's here. <laughs> he proclaims to them, he says, the truth. He teaches them through instruction. In public, he says, that's out in the open. Nothing to hide. And from house to house, in private, in person. He's telling them about the gospel. He testifies to them. That means he's insisting on it. He's warning them. Look out. Be on your guard, he says. He preaches to them, making known something, announcing again. And he declares to them. He says the whole plan of God, teaching them, reporting to them. The content of his speech, he says, first of all, I didn't hold back anything that was profitable. Anything that could help you, I gave it to you. <laughs> Every single thing. He says, I preached the gospel, the truth, about repentance and faith. It's necessary for us to come to the Lord. About the kingdom of God, the rule and the authority of God. The whole plan of God, he says, and I have left nothing out. The truth is that most of us, myself included, spend an awful lot of words on things that are meaningless. Now don't elbow your spouse. But the truth is, most of us spend an awful lot of words on things that are meaningless. Looking back, I wish I had been a more bold witness for the gospel. I wish my speech would have been more about Jesus than about me. I wish my speech would have been more about Jesus and, and the people that needed Him and about the weather. I wish my speech would have been more about Jesus and His kingdom and declaring His truths than, I'll make it personal, than about baseball. <laughs> Looking back, I, I wish it would have been a bolder witness for the gospel. What would you say? At the end of your life, would you say, you know what, looking back, I'm glad I took advantage of the opportunities God gave me. I'm glad I didn't shrink back, like Paul says. I didn't hesitate. I didn't avoid those conversations. So Paul says, I didn't avoid anything. He says, wow. Didn't shrink back. No hesitation. The challenge then is to start now with that sort of speech, to be a bold witness for the gospel with your children. Many of you have a wonderful opportunity. You know, we often think about being a bold witness means that we're going to go stand on the street corner and shout at people. That's not really what Paul's talking about, though it may be included, certainly in public. Where you work, where you go to school, the people you're around, be a bold witness, absolutely. Don't shrink back. Declare to them the truth of the gospel. But you might say, you know what, I'm going to start with who's living in my house. <laughs> I'm going to start with who's closest to me. With my kids, my grandkids, my Sunday school class, my, my co-workers. And I'll take the first step. And walking out of here today, I'm going to not hesitate anymore. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to avoid those conversations. How do you do that? Well, you pray for them. Realize that, that most of the time we try to do as much as we can on our own strength and we forget the power of the Holy Spirit that's activated in prayer. We look for a way to talk to them and we speak to them the truth. In as plain terms as we can. Paul's concern for these folks was not that they just live better lives. That's not his good advice to them. But it's that they be changed by the power of the gospel. They have new life in Christ. That's what made him a bold witness. That was his main concern. How many times do you wish you would have said something to a friend or a family member and the opportunity never came again? How many times do you wish you would have said, you know what, I, I just... This may seem awkward, and I, I'm not even sure how to say all this, but I just want you to know 
that, that Jesus himself came to earth and died for your sins. And he loves you. And he made a way for you to be forgiven, for you to have all that removed and to get to heaven. And I just want you to know that it's not about you you're doing a bunch of good things. You just simply receive that through faith. And you get the promise of eternal life that's sure and secure. And you get the promise of sin and guilt and shame being removed here on earth. Maybe you just say to somebody, look, I, that may seem awkward to you, but I just wanted to tell you before it's too late. Imagine no more regrets from this point on in this particular area of your life. You get to be a bold witness for the Lord. Not only that, but you get to be a wise leader for those who are in your care. Paul here is talking to leaders of the church that he's planted in Ephesus. And he's handing off to them the responsibility to lead this church. And he says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I know I'm going to encounter some hardship. But I count my life as no value, he says in verse 24, so I can finish my course and finish my ministry. He says, none of you will ever see my face again. And he says in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. The picture of this scene. Paul is very serious at this moment, telling them, look, here's what's going to happen. I know, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's speaking, of course, in figurative language here. And men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the message of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Paul is an extremely wise leader. Why? Because he prepared them for the time when he would not be there. Think about it, parents. You get 18 years, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, to prepare your children for life on their own. Now that scares me to death. <laughs> I have to admit to you. Eight, six, almost four, and eight months. Those are the ages of my children. i got ten years left with Lucy. Scares me half to death. It really does. Not because of anything about her. Because I have to be sober-minded in all of this. Convicted by this this week, even as I studied. Am I a wise leader for those who are in my care? Am I preparing them to see life through God's eyes, through a biblical lens? Am I preparing them to go to the Bible for the answers of life and applying that without reservation in every situation they'll encounter? Or, as a Christian parent, am I just preparing them to be nice, to be a good person, to be a productive citizen? You realize none of that's in the Scripture? That's all good stuff. I hope they are nice. I hope they're productive citizens. But that's not my goal. can't be my goal. If I want the goal that God has for them, it has to be nothing less than total submission and devotion to Jesus Christ. And to see life through the Bible. To see decisions being made based upon biblical principles in Scripture. And so I guess my question for me and for you is, are those in our care, those that we have influence over, whether it be in your family or in this church or, or, or somewhere where you work, are those people prepared to handle what life is going to throw at them? Paul says that there, there are going to be savage wolves that come in from the outside. You realize that in today's world, I don't know if you realize this, but the world is changing. <laughs> it's different. Some of you have been around for a while. 
and you say, let me tell you how different it is. <laughs> let me tell you, I remember 50, 60, 70 years ago and, and the things you just didn't have to worry about. <laughs> it's different. Nowadays, we, we have from the outside the idea of relativism. That it doesn't matter really what you believe, that everything can be true. If you're just really sincere about it, <laughs> how can we all be right? But in today's world, that's what our children are being convinced of. That's what our young adults are being inundated with, that everybody's right. It doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere. Everybody's right. There's also the idea of pluralism. It's a fancy way of saying there's more than one way to get to heaven. That you can come from this path over here, and from this path over here, and you can make up your own path, and you'll wind up one day in heaven. There's nothing in the Bible that supports any of that. There's nothing at all. Jesus himself, praise God, he himself said it, just in case anybody wondered. John chapter 14, he says, I'm the only way. That's it. But in today's world, our children are being trained up. Our young adults are being trained up. Even us as adults are being inundated with this idea through what we see and what we hear. There's more than one way. Will those in our care be ready for that? Do they have an answer? Do they know? What about temptation? Those savage wolves of temptation that come in. Are our children, our young people, are, are the folks that we're, that we're ministering to in this church that you have in your care, are they ready for those things? From the outside, Paul says, savage wolves will come in. He said also from the inside. Now that one's scary. I can handle this stuff from the outside a whole lot better than stuff from the inside. In, in, on the inside of the church today, we have a lot of moralism. That means just, just be good. That's what, God, that's what Jesus has saved you for, so you can be good. In fact, that's how you get to salvation anyway. Just be a good person. Sort of all way out in the end. Legalism is another one. You follow our rules, and I guarantee you're in. You just do this, 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 and this. It's a whole lot of self-righteousness as well, meaning that I can make myself righteous. It's a whole lot of that old nature too, isn't it? It kind of rears its ugly head. I, I deal with that. A lot of evil desires that we face from the inside. Do, our, do the people that we have in our care, do they know how to deal with these things biblically? Paul didn't say, I commit you to some good advice. You remember back when I wrote that dissertation on how do you handle all these situations? You know, what does he say? He says, I commit you to God, in verse 32, and to the message of His grace. Not just good advice. Most of the young people in our world today live their lives by some sort of advice that they got. Some song lyric that they, that they resonate with. Some bumper sticker sort of mentality. Paul said that's not what it's about. He entrusted them to God and to Scripture. What can you do as a person who's a leader? You say, well, listen, I'm, now I'm scared. <laughs> now I, they're going to face all that stuff? My goodness, what do I do? It's, it's really it's, it's not complicated not easy but you begin to be a person of the word you begin to be a person who's inundated with god's word soak it up read it all you can study it understand what it means and then as a result you begin to to order your life according to the scriptures if you're a parent let me tell you and i, and I say this just somewhat pitifully i realize sometimes when i don't order my life according to the scripture i stand on i stand on thin ice when it comes to telling my kids to do the same 
I've got to order my life according to Scripture. I've got to see life, make decisions in life based upon the Bible, or I can't say anything to my children. And then we teach those who are in our care to do the same. Prepare them for the time when you're not going to be there. Be a wise leader for those in your care. And finally, when you give your life away to Jesus and to others, you get to be a godly example to all who are watching. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that, that these hands, his own hands, provided for my needs and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that by laboring like this, it is necessary to help the weak and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul demonstrated a godly example. Not only did he tell them, now parents be careful, because we can easily tell them lots of things. Sunday school teacher, be careful. Church leader, community leader, whomever you may be, person of influence, co-worker, boss, we can easily tell people lots of stuff. But if our example doesn't match up with what we're saying, it doesn't hold much water. Paul says, I've shown you. Not only did I tell you, but I've shown you. I didn't do what I did for money, he says. I worked hard. I showed you how to help the weak. I, I gave with nothing expected in return. If people lived like you live, if people lived like you live, if people lived like I live, could we tell that they love Jesus? If they if they lived like I live, if they lived like you live, could they tell, could we tell looking at them that they love Jesus? Are they selfless, diligent, committed, compassionate, generous, living by the Word of God? And all their ethics and attitudes and behaviors and morals, all that is guided by Christ dwelling in us. These folks at the end of chapter 20, it says there was a great deal of weeping by everyone. Embracing Paul, they kissed him, grieving. Who will suffer pain at the loss of your influence and example? I remember in 1996, I had just finished my freshman year of college here at Murray State and went back home to Louisville to work that summer and uh, worked in a daycare, as a matter of fact. It was me and 12 three-year-olds. And I lasted about a month, and that, that, was, that was it, but... But it was during that summer when the youth pastor that had been at my church for about 12 years, a guy that I came to love, and he's still a great friend of mine today, but a guy whose example I wanted to follow left the church. He didn't run away from God. He just left that particular church, you understand. And, and I remember what it was like to know that, that a guy who I really, really, really Loved and admired and found to be a great example for me. I remember what it was like to know that, yeah, I'll see him again, but, but he's moving. And, and I, I, could, I could have written this same thing. There's a great deal of weeping and embracing and grieving. He was a guy that I suffered pain because of the loss of his influence. And I look at that illustration a guy like that and a guy like Paul, and I say, Lord, looking back, I want to be, seen to have been, a guy like that. I want to be that sort of example that people feel when the influence is gone. That's what I want to be. 
So what would you have to say? Looking back, I wish. I wish I had been fully present wherever I was. Instead of being distracted. Instead of not giving time to my family. Instead of working too many hours. Instead of chasing the wrong things. Instead of wasting time. Looking back, I wish I had been a faithful servant to the Lord. Instead of going at the Christian life halfway. Instead of faking it. Instead of only thinking about the Lord on Sundays or when people were watching. Looking back, I wish I had been a bold witness for the gospel. Instead of being hesitant and reluctant to talk about the Lord. Instead of allowing the people I love to die or to move away without knowing the truth. Looking back, I wish I had been a wise leader for those in my care. Instead of leaving them unprepared for life on their own. Life without me. Life in the real world. Life for when times got difficult. Instead of just giving them good advice and not building a biblical filter for them. Looking back, I wish I had been a godly example for all who were watching. Instead of demonstrating that my life ultimately was about me, my needs, my desires, my wants. Paul understood that the secret to a life with no regrets is to give your life away to Jesus and to others. If we apply that principle, then when you're signing yearbooks, when you're dropping your children off at college, when you're in your last moments as your family gathers around, you can say, looking back, I'm glad I was fully present wherever I was. I'm glad I was a faithful servant to the Lord. I'm glad I was a bold witness for the Lord. I'm glad I was a wise leader for those in my care. I'm glad I was a godly example for all who were watching. I'm glad I gave my life away to Jesus and to others. Only Jesus can produce that in you and me. A surrendered life, surrendered life to Him is the beginning of that life with no regrets. There are several different responses you could have as we close our time this morning. You could try to achieve all this on your own. You can look at that list on the back of your bulletin and say, you know what? And I really, I, I want to I be fully present wherever I am. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going, to, I'm going to really focus in. You can go down that list. You can try to accomplish all that on your own. You know what that's called? Self-righteousness. Doing all those things to somehow credit to yourself some righteousness. Look at me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work really hard to do all that. There are others who can reject this. Continue to live for yourself. That's self-sufficiency. It's not the path to Jesus. There are others who will say, you know what? Today. Beginning today, regardless of my age, regardless of my responsibility, my life stage, regardless of my past, today, I'm going to give my life away to Jesus. I'm going to give my life away to others. That's self-denial. That's the biblical way of living. So don't, don't start this morning by working on all the side effects, all the, the things that are listed that you can be this. Don't start by working on that. Start by working on the root cause that brings about all those effects and side effects to repent to repent of our sins, to live by faith in Jesus alone, to abandon all to Jesus and give our lives as a result away to other people. Let's pray together. You've got in your mind, looking back, I wish. What's the trajectory of your life this morning? If your pattern continues, where will it take you? the point of signing yearbooks or dropping a kid off at college or in your last moments? Is it a life filled with regret? I, I wish. It doesn't have to be. 
But the life of no regrets only comes through a life given away to Jesus Christ. Jesus and Him alone, living inside of you and living through you, can produce those kinds of results. So this morning is not a call to be a better parent or a better friend, but to be a person wholly devoted to Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning in your time with Him, you'd simply say, you know what? I'm tired of faking it. I'm tired of playing games. And I'm giving myself to you completely. And I'll give myself away to others as a result of that. And I want no regrets in this life, and most importantly, no regrets when I stand before the Lord. Lord, thank you that you have provided the way for us to live with no regrets here and for all eternity. So God, may we start this morning by giving our lives away completely to you, receiving your grace and living by faith. Pray for the person who needs to do that for the very first time this morning. Needs to recognize their sin and receive your forgiveness. Begin to walk by faith and obedience. For those, Lord, who are living with regret today, thank you that you have conquered all of that. And from this moment forward, God, I pray that you would enable them, encourage them as they give their lives away to you. Make us different. We pray in Jesus' name.